Hi, I'm Beth Ann Yeager, a budding eco-psychologist, and you are listening to The Leftscape, the shape of progressive conversation. Hi, I'm Wendy Sheridan, and this is The Leftscape, The Shape of Progressive Conversation. Hi, I'm Robin Renee, and welcome to episode 108. We have a great Why Is This Awesome for you coming up in today's show. Wendy is going to tell us about one of her passions, about all about why gardening is awesome. <laughs> and what else do we have coming up? And I will be sharing my interview with Beth Ann Yeager. And we talked about eco-psychology and somatic experiencing and some other things. It's a really fascinating conversation, and I'm looking forward to sharing it with all of you. And I'm looking forward to knowing what any of that means. So that's going to be great. <laughs> and for those of you who are patrons, uh, the August, we should be recording this, got posted on Monday on Labor Day. So you should have gotten an email. So go listen to it. <laughs> We're sorry it's a little late, but we're 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 trying to make it happen. And especially thank you for to our new patrons. I just want to give a shout out for that. I put out a uh, birthday request uh, last month, and and we got some responses, and that was really sweet. So thank you. Awesome, thank you. <laughs> so where can people listen to us? Let's see. Uh, you can catch a new episode of the Leftscape every other Wednesday, and subscribe to the show on our website leftscape.com. And you can find us wherever you get your podcasts. We're kind of all over the place, Spotify and, you know, all the podcatchers. Um, and make sure you get automatic downloads so you don't miss a show. And you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Leftscape. And if you want to be just a little bit extra for us, leave us a review on Facebook, Google, your podcatcher of choice. And when you're on our website, please check out our show notes and sign up for our monthly-ish newsletter, The Leftscape Lookout. Yes. So please do join us over on Patreon for extra content and fun things to do. Becoming a patron really helps us make this show better. And we're trying all the time <laughs> to, <laughs> to keep getting it right and getting it better. We appreciate your support at any level. The tiers run from front row seats at just a dollar a month to backstage pass, stage door, and all the way to the hotel room key. <laughs> and, and again, we do thank you so much. Our exclusive Patreon segment, we should be recording this for August, is about feminism and how we came to understand and practice it and our influences from the second to fourth waves, which are a little bit murky. So we, we, we tried to <laughs> figure all that out. So definitely check it out. Yes. And speaking of waves. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> we, uh, we live in New Jersey, which experienced some water <laughs> over the last few days and some wind but but you know last time we were talking i had said water is dangerous and i talked about a few ways that water is dangerous and the water said hold my beer apparently <laughs> because it's been uh, i mean i was really lucky where i am 
but I guess, Wendy, you have a different story a little oh, bit. Oh, God. Yeah. I don't know who ever lived in, in this area for Hurricane Irene 10 years ago, and it was almost to the day. We got more water in the, the local area, central North Jersey, than we did during Hurricane Irene. And it's been pretty horrific. There was a house less than a mile from me that got flooded and the family evacuated, but apparently there was gas accumulating, I guess, from a pilot light from their heating system or their water heater and the whole house exploded. And, and that house is now it's gone completely, but the family was out. Nobody got hurt. And, you know, everything's underwater. There's a lot of people who, I mean, I've been seeing video all week of like somebody's basement wall just collapsed in and, and and then the basement flooded in in less than a minute and people like they got the family out but they were like you know four inches of air at the top of the room and and like the mom got dragged out through a basement window and shit like that and and uh and one of my husband's former guitar players his apartment garage which is under the ground it's like the the river breached the retaining wall completely and it's that retaining wall is gone and the underground parking lot was underwater and he had moved his car literally like 20 minutes before that happened because he kind of figured i better get it get his get his car up to high ground but you know my neighbor on the other just a block away her car she was watching as the water was rising and destroyed her car you know, and, and people were trapped in cars. It, it's, it was not good. And I think it, it feels like the powers that be weren't expecting this much water and nobody was really prepared for this. Like we were, for example, for Sandy. I mean, we were kind of ready for when that was coming because everybody was freaking out about it. And, I mean, it was like really bad in Louisiana, but we figured, oh, by the time it gets up here, it's not going to be a big deal. And that's kind of everybody's attitude. And people were stranded away from their homes all night because they couldn't get home because the parkway was underwater and the turnpike was underwater. Yeah, I I remember much more awareness about Sandy. Like we knew it was coming and it was really kind of a, I was prepared with a bag yeah. to get out if I needed to and all this kind of stuff. And that this was not that. I mean, I definitely heard more. I think I know Philadelphia was more prepared because it was coming from West. So they were more cognizant yeah. of it, I guess. You there saw was, the pictures of the Schuylkill, I mean, of uh, Vine Street Expressway. Yes. Very weird. That was, that blew my mind. It, yeah, it yeah. It's it, for those of you that haven't seen it, they, it's, it's an under, it's a, I guess a under, it's not underground, but it's a, a, a low, highway that goes from the Ben Franklin bridge to the Schuylkill expressway. And it goes through downtown Philadelphia underneath like cross streets. And after the hurricane came through, it looks like it's a freaking canal in Venice. Wow. It was, uh, did you see the guy draw swimming in it? <laughs> like, why would you do that? Oh, I saw someone on a, like floating on a raft. Or no, something. he like jumped off of uh, like the 15th street overpass and did like a backflip into the water and are going, oh my God, why <laughs> not that water? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah. So tornadoes, they're about 40 minutes for me. A oh, tornado God, yeah. took out some houses and 
which is very strange. So yeah, water is dangerous. Wind is dangerous. I'm not afraid of nature, but nature can be harsh. That's for sure. <laughs> but uh, I don't know. Anyway, that's all I need to say for our rewind. Well, it is time for three random facts and the news. And my first <laughs> random fact is some information from a website I don't really frequent too much. It's thebump.com. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and according to thebump.com, the top unisex baby names of 2001 are Kai, Luca, Hunter, Quinn, Elliot, Parker, Avery, River, Skyler, and Hayden. And there are a bunch more on there too, uh, but I think those were like the top 10 or something like that. So I just thought I'd uh, read those off. I would have never thought Elliot as being gender neutral. I've only, the only Elliots I've ever known are men or or male presenting. So I don't know. I feel like I've known, I can't, I don't know. I feel like I've known female Elliot, but it's, it is unusual, but it's cool. I kind of like it. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, there you go. <laughs> but I mean, names. It's, it's it's weird because that that actor who came out as a trans man, who I don't now I don't even remember their name from when they were assigned female at birth, mm-hmm. and and uh, he picked Elliot as his man's na- his new name. So unless he's now a they and not a him, I I I think, I, I think it's him, and I think that. You know, I don't know. People don't know. people choose what they choose, but I think yes. a lot of people do choose something that is a little ambiguous too. And some, you know, just was feel Robin binary and choose that. Robin is not a uh, one of the top names. No, but it was on the list though, right? Not not, not? currently. Robin is <gasps> not a very popular. It was popular when I got named it. It's not really <laughs> popular now, but I do like it for that exact reason. You know that it is yeah. quite androgynous. <laughs> So anyway, right. what's another anyway, fact? My random fact is the only mammals that go through menopause are elephants, humpback whales, and humans. That so, is weird. I didn't know that. I didn't know that either. And and I, but I actually I feel happy to be um, in amongst elephants and humpback whales. I like them. <laughs> I'm just picturing an elephant with hot flashes right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm picturing an elephant who's like happy that they're not having more babies because they have to carry their babies for two years. Uh, that's a lot. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I guess it takes a while to grow an ele- a baby elephant from, right. from one cell. It's a, it's a big thing. So. <laughs> <laughs> and my, the third fact of the day is that Kenny Loggins married Julia Cooper in Big Sur, California on July 11th, 1992. The couple and guests were nude during the ceremony. I, I have to admit the reason I've, remembered this fact. I knew this fact, but I, I wasn't thinking about it currently that I was interested in. I was like, you know what would be really cool? A yacht, a nudist yacht rock party. I wonder if that <laughs> exists. And then I Googled something of, similar to that phrase and that's what I got. And I was like, oh yeah, <laughs> I remember that random fact. So it was funny. Anyway, <laughs> And now here's all the news we can handle. Well, uh, this is news that comes around every year. Happy Bi Visibility Month. And happy, happy Bi Visibility. Oh, I can see you. Yes. <laughs> wow. We're visible. Amazing. Yes. <laughs> you know, so yeah, it's it's a good time. There's 
I'm sure there's different events happening in various places and you can get a lot of information to um, online. So you can follow hashtags like, you know, hashtag by visibility month, by visibility, by pride, by pride month, all sorts of those variations and look for or create events for September 23rd, which is celebrate bisexuality day or, or also called by visibility day. So that's coming up. Cool. Uh, and let's see other bigger world, other world news. I mean, of course, by visibility is important, but wars and stuff and all, you know, huge things have been happening. The U S war in Afghanistan went from October 7th, 2001. And obviously you, you can trace it back farther than that in terms of things brewing in that region, um, for sure. But officially, that's the start date, as they call it. And the end date officially was August 15th, 2021. Uh, so almost 20 years. And our last troops left on August 30, by August 31st. I think it was the day before, actually. I yeah, I, I keep seeing headlines that I have not been reading the articles associated with the headlines that are implying that there are still American citizens there. Um, and also some people who were trying to get out yeah. that they didn't get everybody out that they, that who wanted to come out. That, that I think is very true. And it's, God, I, it's so enormous that I don't even know what to say about all this right now. I mean, it's, you know, people are talking about like the way it ended and the chaos and everything. And it's, it sucks and it's sad. And I feel like I'm not sure how different it would have been at any point when we did this. You know, it's, uh, well, I mean, it would have been the only thing that would have made it different is if the government that the United States had supported all this time, didn't just crumble away in the face of the, you know, us leaving and the Taliban taking over. Right. That's the only thing I think that would have made it any kind of a difference, but that's not what happened. And, (sighs) But I am impressed at the airlift and how many people they were able to get out in the time span that they had to do it in. That was a very impressive uh, logistical effort of the the Air Force. And, you know, I, you know that's something that uh, that I think that made a difference. Yeah, I was sorry that there wasn't more happening sooner, but I don't know how, 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 how they were able to arrange that. I know they had to arrange for the Taliban to stop shooting in certain areas <laughs> to make this happen. Yeah. Which is crazy to think about. So, I mean, I'm, I am grateful for those that they got out and I'm hoping, I'm hopeful somehow that something can happen for those who are still there. I don't know. I, d- I don't know what to say about it. It's, it's kind of overwhelming, honestly. Yeah. Um, when uh, when we get information about if there are ways to help people uh, still in Afghanistan or or Afghanis here who are mm-hmm. refugees here now, um, we'll pass that along. Sure. So yes, anyway, segue. Yes. <laughs> segue. So Abbott signed this horrible, horrible law into effect. This I don't is know. the He's governor so, of Texas. Of yeah. Texas, yes. Mm-hmm. If you have just woken up from a coma on September 1st, uh, this, this law went into effect where uh, any abortions after six weeks are banned and they have also 
given permission for vigilante, basically vigilantes, any citizen not associated with the government to sue anyone helping any woman getting an abortion. And our Supreme Court decided not to even look at the case to to do a stay on this on this new law, which is blatantly unconstitutional. And and at the same time, I remember seeing Murphy posting something about he's been working to try to governor get Murphy, our governor yep. Murphy of New Jersey. I'm sorry, <laughs> this is shorthand. Um, he wants to get. Uh, a woman's right to choose enshrined in the New Jersey state constitution, which will then protect it from any legislative bullshit like what's happening in Texas. And, and the Texas legislature, all the Democrats kept leaving the state over and over again so they wouldn't have quorum, so they couldn't vote on this for, for a few weeks and I and they finally they I guess they had to show up for something and then all this stuff got passed and and I think what was it the other one is is uh, anybody who's not a, a felon I think can now open carry can have a gun without any anything it's like it's like they without any licensing right 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 yeah. yeah they've they've unrestricted guns and restricted women. You know, and and trying to boycott Texas is going to be very difficult. Is that the strategy that people are trying to do to just like boycott anything that comes from Texas and try? Pretty to- much. Well, I mean, the, I mean, the, the businesses need to put pressure. They're the ones that can put pressure on the legislature to change this. Right. You know, I mean, so the people of every I'll starve the businesses, the big businesses, and yep. try to get them. To- I mean, it's going to be tough. Frito Lay is there. I mean. Tough. A lot of a lot of businesses are in Texas because they like Delaware have like no state corporate tax at all. So a lot of businesses want to put their headquarters there like they do in Delaware. And so you like you look through the list. I mean, I got on Wikipedia and it's a list of businesses that are in Texas, you know, like big ones. Uh, like uh, national multinational businesses. So it's Dell compute. It's a lot of stuff I've been using. So it's like, I can't upgrade my computer now <laughs> and, and I have to cancel my satellite TV and, and Frito-Lay is there. And <laughs> so, so that's like, like snack food, forget that. So that's one thing we can do if we're not in Texas, we can not travel to Texas we cannot. Uh, we can avoid using, buying, and using products that are made in Texas, and tell the companies that we are boycotting because of this law. And the companies will then turn around and lobby the legislature. The other thing, you know, if you live in Texas, vote these fuckers out. For God's yeah, sake, that sounds like the boycotting. I mean, I, yeah, I'm not. <laughs> I don't want to naysay what people want to try, you know. But I don't know. That doesn't sound doesn't sound all that heartening to me i hope it were you know i hope some of it works and maybe it will with some with some companies actually because if the bottom line changes obviously that makes a difference but yeah vote these fuckers out (laughs) you know and i do and i have also seen information about how to donate to women who need to travel yes to take care of their themselves you know so and uber and lyft uber and lyft are they sent out a, a an email immediately after this law was passed 
saying that none of their that they that if any of their drivers gets gets sued by the by the citizenry for for taking somebody to an abortion clinic or whatever that the the company will support well they'll pay their legal expenses they will do that oh wow so you know that was very cool you know a lot of the pro choice groups are mobilizing again uh and there is going to be a women's march on October 2nd that they want national. You know, it's going to be another another march on Washington, but also in every state. That's so, you know, so that's something that everybody can do. We've been kind of waiting for the, this challenge to Roe v. Wade since 2016. Yeah. And, you know, our court, our Supreme Court is now poised to even get rid of that. But uh, it's, you know, my Facebook page has been full of vitriol about this for since the first of September. So it's, yeah. I'm I'm very very angry about this. Yeah, I'm I as am I, and I would really like to hear from anyone who know thinks about other strategies and and things that we can do to help this situation because it is other than change. The, the the landscape of our, of our political you know yeah that was invert that was inverted change the uh, <laughs> change the political landscape in which we are in and yes which, and and where they are in Texas oh the some of these ex some of these external things I mean I, I I hope some of it is effective and I would love to hear as many as people know about um, this one charity or one nonprofit that I've given to in the past and I will be giving to again is the National Network of Abortion Funds. Uh, they help people who don't have the money to travel to, you know, they, they help pay for transportation and lodging if they need to stay overnight. And I think they also help with paying for the procedures too. And they're a good, they're a good place to support. Planned Parenthood also is fighting very strongly about this. I, I also saw a letter from like text, like, like the, whatever the association of the Texas doctors in Texas, they all belong to this group and they are saying this is an awful law and please don't do this. So, but that, that letter might've been, you know, sent to the politicians. And I really hope, I really hope that this bites every Republican legislator in texas in the ass big time i hope it really does because more than half of the population wants women to be able to make these choices for themselves without the government getting in the way i was gonna say it's it's not a it's not a majority opinion at no, all what's no, happening right now no so. it isn't and i really uh, and i really hope that you know, a woman who has an ectopic pregnancy or has their their uh, their fetus die in the womb before, you know, before term can get the fucking care they need and not die from this. Another suggestion was like, like nobody in Texas let anybody sleep with them <laughs> until they rescind the law. But, you know. Yeah, I've heard about the sex strike. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> but yeah, if if you're up to it, you know, and if you're married to one of these legislators, why, number one, and number two, if you're not going to immediately divorce them, stop sleeping with them. 
<laughs> Make friends with your Hitachi magic wand instead. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Okay. Um, well, the other thing I I did want to say, and this, you know, it, it's kind of in keeping. Some of us have really been taking a well-deserved break, but a kind of a long break from getting politically active, you know, after the uh, defeat of Donald Trump in the U.S. And, you know, it felt like things are in general in a, in a better direction and, and, and people just wanted to, to take a break. But it's really not time to, or at least if, if it was for a little while, it's kind of time to start thinking about getting active again. There, there is, uh, there are things to do. Like we've got uh, Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema in the Senate who are <laughs> really a challenge to getting anything done. You know, on the liberal or progressive side of the the aisle, as they say. So Manchin and Cinema proofing the Senate majority is an important thing to be working on. Holding onto the House, fighting voter suppression in the states, which is you know kind of blooming everywhere, unfortunately. Uh, yeah. Um, so a good way to find out something that you can work on is Crooked Media, who do the podcast like Pod Save America and a, a bunch of others that I really like. They have a program called No Off Years. And I I want to go just at least read it and, and look at all the options of things that we could be working on. And you can sign up and get something to do, meet people who also want to be active. So, you know, we've got midterm elections coming up. and And they're important. They are important. We cannot lose the House and the Senate. Yeah, 100%. So let's get back at it. And that is all of the news news we can handle handle. today. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) This podcast is sponsored by Conspiracy of the Month. Have you grown bored or complacent with the quality of conspiracy theories being shared on social media? Have you thought about floating some theories of your own but don't know where to start? Well, we have the monthly subscription box for you. Conspiracy of the Month will send you a curated box chock full of deepfake video clips, pre-written tweets, and hashtags that would make any Russian troll farm green with envy. Share with your friends, enemies, frenemies, and soon-to-be-estranged family members. Sign up for your monthly subscription box by leaving a bag of cash in Locker 2016 at the Port Authority bus station in Manhattan. And now, back to our podcast. Why is this awesome? Well, this is where we talk about, one of us talks about something that we really are super excited about. And I believe Wendy has a topic for today. Oh, I'm super excited about my garden. Uh, you, You garden a little bit too but uh um, oh yeah i love gardening i just don't have as much time to to do it so i yeah don't, well that's know, that's the thing but yes gardening is awesome especially now because it's harvest time so all of the all of the hours and hours of babying infant plants and putting them out and watching them grow and doing all of that it's it's payoff time now this is <laughs> like in uh, in prior years I have done I have been the zucchini fairy like when zucchini is doing well which it did not in my garden this year it all died because of that heat wave we had in May where is that like, what oh. happened because mine didn't no, mine did I, nothing I don't know I don't know I I have to guess I mean maybe I my my yard is damp and fungusy because everything got like gray it was very very hot and then it was very very wet 
And I know zucchini doesn't really like it when it's really wet because a few years ago, I got it. it had to be like 2006, maybe. There was a month where I live where it rained every day. I did not see the sun for the entire month of June. And that mm-hmm. killed my zucchini that wow. year. This year, this year, it just like got really nasty and the fruit was kind of growing, but it was rotting while it was growing. Mm-hmm. So it's like I, I said, screw and I just pulled them all up. So there was no zucchini this year. I mean, I got like two or three. I, out exactly. Of it. I got like two. I think my yeah. cousin got none. It was a very strange kind of. Yeah. Know, it's, yeah. you know, it's weather. Huh. But so what's my, awesome about your garden? What now? is, what is also about my garden this year? Well, I grew peppers for the first time and I ha- I've actually had so many peppers. I've given some to the neighbors. Um, mm-hmm. They're little, they're little sweet peppers. They're yellow and orange and they're gorgeous. And I love them. You know, it's been, it's fun when you can make like a ratatouille, which is a vegetarian dish with, but it's got onions, eggplant, tomatoes, bell peppers, and zucchini, and I put mushrooms in, and it's all like baked and and everything. And and I finally, I got all of the things out of the garden, except for onions and zucchini and mushrooms. That was like the rest of the dish was all homegrown, and that's always it makes me feel good because I know I know exactly what went into these vegetables you know i never put pesticides on them and and i just grow them and and it and they they the stuff you grow seems to taste better too i um, think it does too absolutely because it's 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 immediate you know yeah it's like right there it's fresh i mean like fresh. right now right now i'm in the middle of a bean tsunami so <laughs> I mean, and if you lived closer i would be you would have lots of green beans because i have i have so many I've learned enough now that in August, you do like a second planting of plants that want more cooler weather. Like Mm -hmm. I planted broccoli. It's growing next to the beans. I've also discovered this year that radish greens cook up really good, which I did not know. I know you told me that. I know. (laughs) They're really, really good. I use them instead of spinach in, in like stir fry now. They have a, it's similar to spinach in, in the way they react to the heat and how they taste. So yeah, uh, I think a little more like broccoli rob, they're a little more bitter. Yeah. At least the ones that I've had. Yeah, know. yeah. Yeah. Um so. but they're yeah, but it's like, you know, radishes. I figure, okay, I'm eating the root and I, I always would throw the greens away and I'm not realizing that the greens are just as edible and nice as the radish part too. So yay. So thank you, Robin. For- <laughs> <You're> <laughs> um, so what can you plant? So I, I want to learn more about well, I want to learn all of your gardening tips, really. But <laughs> like, have you done a, a cool weather garden that often? Like, have you done? No, like- this is like the first time. This year, okay. I planted peas on St. Patrick's Day, which somebody told me is what you're supposed to do. That was, that was you too, right? Probably. <laughs> <laughs> that was like my test peas. I only planted like two or three of them, but I got some peas. I didn't know how to prepare them properly, like shelling them or any of that, because I have never really done that before. So I'm going to do that again next year. I don't know what it is about my raspberries, but I've probably gotten at least 10 pounds out of, out of that bed this year. I have made so much jam. It's ridiculous. You'll be getting some of that. <laughs> Everybody's getting jam this year. Awesome. I need to make jam this week because I have another pound of uh, raspberries that I picked. Do you freeze them or? Not yet. I okay. 
I either eat them or make them into jam. Okay, uh, so you do it like right away. I wasn't sure how much you get at, at any one time. To um, build it up. You know? Yeah, I it did my biggest. I'm tracking it. I have a spreadsheet. It's I've gotten really really nerdy about this. I uh -oh. count. I weigh We're them every day. The now. <laughs> oh, yeah, I know. I know. I weigh them every day because I want to see what my yield is. And and I'm also graphing, you know, there's two waves of raspberries. There's a the spring flowering and then the late summer flowering. And then suddenly my blackberries flowered again, which never happened before. So I'm getting, I'm going to get another small harvest of blackberries in another, probably in October. And I also want to tell people, don't plant them next to each other because the raspberries will outcompete the blackberries. Okay. They're just, the blackberries, you don't prune down to the ground every winter, uh, but the raspberries are just going nuts. And I guess the root systems now, I've had this bed for like eight years, and it is really producing a huge amount of food. And it's delightful. And this is a thing I would have, I planted them because my daughter liked raspberries. I wasn't a big fan of raspberries before I started growing them. And they, the ones you grow yourself, they have a lot more flavor than the ones you get at the store. You know, I don't honestly don't know, understand how they, they must have, they must have bred these guys to be able to survive for however long it takes to ship and then sit in the store because the raspberries I get, you know, a week, a week later, they're liquid. You have to do something with them right away. So I have you, felt guilty about missing the boat on some, some raspberries on occasion because <laughs> exactly that. Cause I have in my head how long they should last. And it's not true. With yeah, it's not. It is, so I'm it, trying to yeah. be diligent, you know? Yeah. I will. So the tomatoes last a while. The peppers last a while. The zucchini lasts a while. Zucchini, yeah, you know, like throw the whole, all that stuff in the fridge. They you could keep them for like a month or so before mm -hmm. they start getting fuzzy. Cucumbers don't last that long. I'm always experimenting because I don't know what the hell I'm doing. You know, I mean, people think I have like this green thumb, but it's like okay, I have good dirt, and you know, we water every day, and in the spring until it gets too hot for me to go out and weed, I would weed every day. So. So I was going to ask you for your basic tips. Like if someone knows nothing, like is yeah. it just keeping up with watering and weeding and yes. knowing what it's yeah. What else? And, yeah. Well, you should do a little bit of research. I mean, the garden sites, especially like seed sites, like Burpee and Johnny's seeds. I like Johnny's seeds better than Burpee now, just because I don't know why I just do. They sponsor. have a lot of really good information about when to plant and, and, and when to harvest. I mean, that's, I think Johnny seeds gives you more information than burpees do, does, you know, they tell you what the ground temperature has to be for the seeds to germinate. I start almost all of my seeds inside in January and February, depending on what the plant is and when it goes out in the garden, you know, then that, and that information will be on the seed site too. If you're really a beginner and Money isn't a huge problem. The best thing to do is to go to a garden center and get plants that have been started. That will be the your your best le least hassle way to get your garden started. You know, because nurturing the seeds from the beginning. I mean, I had I went last year. I ended up getting uh, like grow lights for in inside, and I I had one set of one seed tray that was just lit 24 hours a day. 
And that's where I put my tomatoes and my peppers. And they were, before it was even warm enough to put outside, they were almost 12 inches tall before, you know, because you go to oh, the wow. garden center, you know, in, in in right after Mother's Day when it's past the last day of frost here. And, you know, they have these big tomato plants and they have flowers on them already. So they must have started these things like in December for them to get that big. Like I said, if you go to the garden center, you get these established plants and you just put them in the ground and you be nice to them and they'll give you fruit. I've been getting to the point where I want to start everything from seeds because seeds are definitely cheaper. You can get a pack of seeds for, for less than the cost of one entire plant. And you get like hundreds of seeds. Well, if it's tomatoes, you get like 25 or 30 seeds in a, in a, in a little pack. But like uh, other things, you get like 100 seeds or 200. Like carrots, you get like 900 seeds in a bag. And one year I dumped the bag by accident onto the garden. <laughs> well, that was a big mess of carrots. Um, <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, and you just, you and know. And it's pretty satisfying, I think, to grow oh, yeah. something from the start. I mean, I, I like starting it from... You know, if, if someone gives me seedlings or if I buy them, sometimes if I get started a little later and mm -hmm. I still want to get something going, that's a that's a good way to do it. But either way, it's very, uh, I find it really, I don't know. There's a certain kind of joy in it. Yeah, there is. There is. Bring something the, from that small state to like. Yes, fruition. they're like your babies for <laughs> a little while anyway. And, and it, and then, and then when, like, if there's a rabbit anywhere near you and it comes in and eats all of your stuff, which has happened, it happens to me a lot. I have, and so I'm slowly acquiring chicken wire fencing for around the garden bed or, or these chicken wire cloches that you can buy that aren't exactly cheap, but you cover the seedlings with them and then, you know, rabbits and groundhogs and deer can't get at the seedlings and once they get to a certain size it's like the rabbits tend to leave them alone so when they're really little mm. like they ate all my cucumbers and my basil Ugh. which was annoying so i had to <laughs> i had to plant more and this year i tried having my sunflowers be the supports for my cucumbers and the, su the sunflowers weren't real thrilled with it and the cucumbers weren't real thrilled with it either. I mean, the cucumbers were, were actually pretty happy until they started fruiting and then things got weird. I don't know. I'm going to not do that again. It's just the sunflowers got droopy too fast because mm -hmm. it was being weighed down with the other the, the vines growing up. I'm going to try uh, the three sisters next year, I think, where you do corn, zucchini, and beans together in a mound. Hmm. That, that was, uh, so I'd like to see that. That was the, the Native American intelligence for growing those three things together because they, the nutrients that they each need, it's like they each are supporting each other in, in their growth. Like they're not depleting each other. That's the other thing you have to, there are websites that talk about companion plants, like what's good to plant next to something, for example, if you're growing tomatoes, it's recommended to throw in a marigold among them or nasturtium. And those are to divert insects like aphids. The aphids will prefer to be on the nasturtium than the tomatoes. But if it doesn't have that, it's going to go, they're going to go bug your tomatoes. And there are other plants like asparagus and tomatoes are happy with each other because they're not competing for the same soil nutrients. 
And don't be afraid if you don't have a lot of land, use containers. I put all of my peppers and eggplants this year in buckets. And the buckets were le basically leftover uh, packaging from our cat litter. So they, they're these five-gallon buckets. We got a lot of, uh, and the dirt makes a difference too. So we got like, Costco was selling this miracle Grow composting dirt. And I just got a bunch of bags of that. And I filled all these buckets. And my tomatoes and eggplants are, I have never been able to before this year to grow eggplants successfully. And this year it's, I mean, you've gotten some of them this year because I, there's way too much. They were <laughs> delicious. A lot. Yeah. They have a lot of eggplants. Between um, like your eggplant and your tomatoes and some of my tomatoes, like I've made like some mm. really nice, like vegan eggplant bake type things. And it's cool. Really yummy. Yeah. Cool. I need more eggplant recipes. I'm going to have to hit you up for that. So, so yeah, the, you know, so the containers were, the, the plants are really happy in the containers where they really hated being in my garden beds. And I'm not sure if it's because the containers are in a place with really good sunlight or there was nothing else bothering them, I guess. And it was also, I think I planted them next to the beans and I think beans are kind of really greedy as far as soil nutrients. So they never, so my eggplants never did anything. They would mostly just stay small and then die early in oh. prior years but this year i was successful with it and next year i'm going to try to grow some hot peppers good so, deal yeah i've done i've done some hot peppers in the past i had some mildly hot peppers this year but not super hot it would be good to yeah have some jalapenos or yeah. something else yeah yeah next year hopefully we'll be able to like visit more with each other <laughs> so you can actually get like come up here and get some produce okay <laughs> Well, this has been cool. I, I, you know, it's like I, I have questions, but I feel like gardening is so specific to the soil and the very, the, very, the place that what you might, what might work for you might be really different for me. But yeah, so well, I'm keeping, I'm just going to keep experimenting. Yeah, and I'm gonna it's, that's it. really what you have to do. I mean, I also have, I have a whole flower garden, which I'm still figuring out with bulbs and annuals and perennials and other things and, and, uh, it looked really, really amazing this spring, and then the summer came, and the lilies that I planted didn't bloom this year because it's their first year, so there was a lot of not flowers, a lot of green stuff. You know, I like flowers, too, and that's a whole other, that's a whole other thing. Everything is depending on your soil and the amount of sunlight and, you know, pest control. I have to remember next year to get praying mantis egg cases, and I kind of recommend everybody do that because, well, especially in... The New Jersey, Pennsylvania area where there are those spotted lantern flies, because I saw a photo of a praying mantis eating one. So they uh they will eat them. So I want I want to get a bunch of I want to use natural pest control by introducing predator insects that will eat my the insects that I don't want. Well, two of them just landed on my window as you were oh talking. My God. So I'm so sorry. That's a, that's a that's a good bit of advice. Thank you. Because <laughs> I was like, ah, oh, damn it. Because I have trouble. I don't. I I don't like to kill things. But I know you don't like to kill but things. Maybe but maybe they don't the praying mantises here. would like them for dinner. That might help. Yes, <laughs> praying mantis. I'm getting those. I'm getting ladybugs. Those are those are the two carnivore carnivorous animals. I insects I like to add to my garden, and I keep forgetting because it's not like. You can't order those online. You have to kind of go to a garden center for those. Mm. So, 
Although I'm going to try to order them online. I was just too late this year. Oh. But yeah. And uh, if you guys are gardening, I want to hear about it. I like to talk gardening. So. Yes, you do. <laughs> and and if you subscribe to the Leftscape Lookout newsletter, uh, you might see some little updates about Wendy's garden over the year, <laughs> over the summer, <laughs> in our personal section of the of the newsletter. So there you go. Thanks, Wendy. Well, you're welcome. Anytime. Good whatever time of the day you are hearing this. I am 89, the brainchild, songwriter, performer, entertainer, stage production manager in some days. And you are listening to The Leftscape, the shape of progressive conversation. I am here today with Beth Ann Yeager, who is recovering from practicing law and is now seeking wisdom through studying eco-psychology, training in somatic experiencing, practicing and teaching yoga and meditation. Her passion is nature, dancing in the snow and loving all things wild. Welcome, Beth, and thank you for coming on to the show. Thank you, Wendy. It's a joy to be here with you. And I love seeing your face. I, I have to, I have to make a disclaimer that that this person is my sister-in-law that I never get to see because she lives very far away. And I'm the luckiest person in the world to have <laughs> Wendy as my sister-in-law. All right, all right. Now the mutual admiration society needs to like <laughs> shut down for a minute. So please explain to me now that you're recovering from being a lawyer, and tell me what. Your, what is eco-psychology and what is somatic experiencing? Because those are terms, well, eco-psychology I could figure out, but the other one, not really sure what that is. So let me know. Okay, I'll give a, a little quick bio that puts it in context. Uh, while I was practicing law, I became increasingly more stressed and anxious and what arose from that was also what I call developmental trauma, trauma that happened uh, when I was growing up and I was unaware of. Mm. And it was expressing itself in my body. And in my body, I would hold tension and it became incapacitating because my spine refused to function. Let's just put it that way. Oh, wow. So I started trying to unwind years of holding tension in the body. And there's a wonderful book that I have to just give a plug right here called uh, by Basil Vanderkoek saying the body keeps the score. Oh. And it's a nice juxtaposition of both somatic experiencing and eco-psychology my, in my experience that in seeking help and healing, I started doing walks about 10 minutes a day. And I noticed how much nature was enthralling me and exciting me. And I felt better. And I also was very fortunate to have therapy through what is known as somatic experiencing practitioner. Somatic experiencing is a trauma therapy based on mythology, what animals do 
Peter Levine watched that when an animal goes through something traumatic, for instance, being shot by a dart gun, mm. that as they come out of it, they shake all over. They physically release the tension and the trauma of the experience. Hmm. Right. So Peter Levine designed this somatic experiencing program, which I am training and starting to do work in now. And through that, I found eco-psychology because I was interested in how animals manage trauma. And I realized, wow, the earth is experiencing trauma. And what do, how do we as dependent upon the earth manage the trauma that the earth is going through? And eco-psychology was initially, initially, pardon me, founded or devised as a way of showing environmental activism that they have it wrong by, by pounding us over the head with how horrible everything is. People retreat. They become immobilized with fear. That environmental activism should be inspired by love and dedication. And there's something to that because I yeah. found exactly, I found out as I fell in love with the world, there was so much I wanted to do. Wow. 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 Okay. And, so and that's, and that is with the backdrop of the recent report from the United Nations Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. Their conclusions were we have 10 years to pull back from the brink, I think, in, in at least that's what I read in the article, that, that it's not too late, that we have 10 years to get our shit together, or we're all going to die kind of thing. And, and I, <laughs> I kind of think we're already too late. I agree with you, Wendy. There are systems, biological systems, study organic chemistry. We can see that these systems are already cascading positive feedback systems of chemistry, trying to catch up with processing all the excess carbon in the atmosphere and the carbon that is increasingly being released uh, through human action and inaction. And these processes are already headed, heading us over the brink. It's, and I understood the United Nations report optimism as, <laughs> as saying, we're going to have the effects of climate change. I like calling it ecocide because that's what we've done. We're committing suicide through our treatment of the planet on which we rely. And we can control how hot the earth is going to become, possibly, but we cannot unwind what we've already done. Okay. Well, it's not okay, but I, I understand <laughs> what you're saying. That's what I understood you to say. <laughs> yes. This has all been really difficult to to hear and and it's it's hard. It's hard to to hear that that you know, we've kind of destroyed the world. At least at least I don't believe that we can you know, wipe out life on earth. You know, that won't happen. 
it just something we, we we can make this place uninhabitable for humans. Would that and be I, so bad? I well, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I would, you know, I would assume that this is happening after my lifetime, and maybe not my kids, but I hope it would be after their lifetime as well, because it would be just really a sad state of affairs to have to live through that. But I mean, we're living through what we're living through right now, you know, with the fires and the and and the hurricanes and all of the other things and the heat waves. Yes. <laughs> and I mean, you wrote me an essay about things you wanted to talk about, and it was a brilliant essay. And I am not thrilled that you're not going to publish it anywhere, but that's fine. <laughs> but I also like you're talking about this acronym WEIRD that stands for Western and White Educated Industrial Rich and Democratic, which I had never seen that acronym before. And, and I guess that sort of encapsulates what the world thinks of as the, and I'm putting air quotes, developed world. Yes. And, and I like to add for those of us living in the United States, the E stands for exceptionalism. <laughs> and yes, that's the American and idea of exceptionalism. And entitlement. And entitlement. Thank you. <laughs> yes, right. I like that. It's, I have rethought my position on, on American exceptionalism, especially over the last five years. <laughs> yes. It's been, it's been eye-opening. Yeah. Um, what is interesting about how difficult it is to accept our imminent demise or the sixth mass extinction, life as we know it, the beauty of the world, is our role in that demise, that extinction. A psychologist, eco-psychologist, Siwa Woodbury, wrote about the trauma of climate change. And he said that a, a unique role in trauma is when the person is experiencing the trauma as being both the victim and the perpetrator. Mm. And I like to think of how many people perpetuate trauma in their lives because at some point they were the victim of trauma. Yeah, that's sort of a basic family systems theory that's been kicking around for many, many years. Exactly, Wendy. That I'm glad you brought that up. Perfectly <laughs> said. And the family that we belong to, both the human and the more than human, the weird, especially here in the United States, we hold the role of perpetrator. We love our conveniences. We love our Amazon next day delivery, <laughs> even we though do. we know better. <laughs> <laughs> and that's hard to accept because we feel badly when we look at what we've done. And that brings up a very primal feeling that we share with other animals, shame. Mm. And I sent you 
the schematic of humans' reaction to shame. Yes. And it's things that create more damage to other people around us and to the earth. We tend to go in, we tend to consume more to not feel badly about ourselves or what we've done. Yes. We see that a lot in Congress. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Excellent point. Um, ex great example. And we tend to, if we're not attacking ourselves, we attack the other. Yes. And there's so much othering going on that we're on the brink of a sixth mass extinction and finally coming to some <laughs> racial reckoning in this country, <laughs> in my mind, is not a coincidence. We have a history throughout the world, and especially in this country, of what is known as speciesism, that humans are smarter, we're better, we've figured things out. But then within humans, we also make distinctions. And those who are less than white, we equate with animals. Throughout mm -hmm. history, there's been so much oppression by making humans like animals, and therefore it's easier to subjugate, to oppress, to kill to put in gas ovens and mm. gas them. Yeah. They're not fully human. <clears throat> yeah. Well, I kind of want to blame the Abrahamic religions for that, but I think if that if they didn't arise, probably some other monolithic religion would have arisen anyway and been in it it would have just had a different uh, serial number. But I think it would be the same thing. I don't know. I mean, even the even the Mesopotamians started to have a overarching god that was subsuming the other gods, and then all of this hierarchy wanted to happen. Well, as primates, <laughs> we well think about um, even the name of our the, the name of our or the way they classify like species, our order as primates primates it's the top <laughs> it's first it's oh. like <laughs> well or or primal and in in all the studying i've been doing in ecopsychology and i'm i'm at naropa university in boulder colorado which is a a buddhist based founded institution one thing that i found so interesting is studying indigenous cultures and how they viewed humans as being last on the earth, interestingly, just like evolution has told us. And because uh -huh. we are last, we have to learn from everybody else. Oh, that's a much nicer worldview. And I like that worldview. <laughs> and it's reflected in their treatment of the environment. In fact, um, many of the areas that we want to preserve around the world right now because they are pristine and they are sucking up the carbon dioxide and pouring out the oxygen and biodiversity is being preserved in these areas are 
owned and managed by indigenous cultures. Yeah, I had read that the United States before we were colonized, that the the natural forest, and I'm using air quotes again, the natural forest was actually they, you know, the the people living in the forest were planting the the berry tree, the berry bushes, and the and all of this, so they could just walk through the forest and and harvest their food, and they didn't have to clear cut the forest to grow stuff. And so when the settlers came and they saw this this world of bounty, they thought it was like, oh, God did this. It's like, nah, the Iroquois did this. <laughs> right. That's I love that. Um, a wonderful book I read this summer, um, Braiding Sweetgrass by Robin Hall Kimmerer, talked about the Three Sisters Garden mm. and how when colonists landed and saw the Wapanawag on Martha's Vineyard garden was not in rows, but in mounds, ripped it all out and wanted to teach these people how to do things right. But the... <laughs> But the Three Sisters Garden is brilliant because we plant corn and squash and bean together. The, when the corn grows, the bean will wrap around it. The squash grows out to keep pests and weeds or other things you don't want growing nearby. It's the perfect garden. And mm. you get your protein, your carbohydrate, your sugars. A complete meal, squash, corn, and bean. And I also think, because I know beans kind of pull nitrogen out of the soil. Nitrogen fixers, you bet. That's what, okay, so they're fixing, I wasn't sure that if that meant that it's pulling it out or, or putting it in. So yes, it's fixing the nitrogen, and I think the other plants are doing the opposite, so it's not depleting the soil either. Exactly. Oh, I'm so glad you brought that up. What? <laughs> See? Right. Nature is completely amazing. We are only barely scratching the surface of the system that has self-maintained, self-regenerated for billions of years. Yeah. Well, forever, celestially and on this earth. Yeah. At some point in your essay, you were talking a little bit about the pandemic and and saying that that people are acknowledging that that shit is happening and i and i wasn't exactly convinced that most people were oh, i like to think that most people believe that there's a pandemic but i know there's a significant population in our country at least and probably in some other countries seeing how for example the uk is handling things also they haven't really accepted that this is happening because they're not taking steps to stop it. And I don't know. And part of me is thinking that, that, that this virus was developed, you know, they, they say that, that the, the first case of this, that it came out of a wet market in, in China and, from bats and other things and, and I part and part of my brain is thinking did Gaia just make this because there's too many people now you know and I know that's like a weird conspiracy-esque kind of thing to think but you never know I, I I know that redwoods have in their bark 
they have developed natural herbicides that kill other plants to the benefit of the redwood. So I, I could I could easily see the planet saying, you know, these people are being a real pain in my butt and it's time to to do something. You know, it's like, don't cut the redwood. Don't fuck with the redwoods because they'll mess you up. <laughs> well, you've raised a really interesting inquiry about what is consciousness. Is, oh. is Gaia, and by Gaia, I'm talking about a system that evolutionary biologists um, have, I would say the vast majority of them, have come to accept, including ones that said there is no way that the earth <laughs> operates on a closed system so effectively as it does. But I think they would all agree, and I would agree with them, that there isn't the kind of intent that <laughs> we see in human thinking, okay. but rather... It's a system that operates in feedback loops so okay. that when something happens, something counters it. Or those are negative feedback loops, which are good. Positive <laughs> feedback loops is something accelerates and just adds on. And there is that also until eventually the system can rebalance and the negative feedback loop operates to rein in the positive feedback loop. So the pandemic, what I find so interesting about people's reaction is denial is operates at a gut level for so many people. And denial, of course, is the opposite of acceptance. Yeah. And it is also something that comes from fear when we can't possibly accept that we have so little control, which we do. <laughs> and so I can, I can try to have compassion because of those times in my life where I've so wanted control and I didn't have it. Mm. We have this amazing evolutionary adaptation Actually, a couple of them. Okay. One of them is our medial prefrontal cortex. In fact, our whole prefrontal cortex is works um, to slow the limbic brain down, our instant reaction mm -hmm. of fight, flight, freeze. And when we slow down and let the prefrontal cortex assess what's going on, we can respond from empathy and then even beyond empathy, compassion. Mm. We also have a, another amazing evolutionary adaptation of the ventral vagal nerve, which runs in our viscera, in our gut, through the brain. And that nerve goes back and forth. Messages are continually running from our viscera and our gut to the brain and back. And we feel safe and counter fight, flight, freeze by looking into another's eyes, feeling safe, feeling love, smiling. We just smiled at each other. <laughs> what a beautiful connection. And though those pro-social evolutionary adaptations counter 
denial, shame, fear. And we're designed to do that. And how great is that? It is. It is great. And it makes me sad thinking about how our our media, our politics that that is using the media to drive these wedges between people because they're in power based on fear. Right. Because when we're scared, we want to soothe ourselves and we soothe ourselves with consumption. And yeah. that's how growth works. An economy grows if you buy more. I need that new car to feel good about myself. Rather than, wow, I should get together with a couple of friends and sit on the grass. How would that make me feel? <laughs> well, yeah, all the friends are busy working, so you that's know. <laughs> true. Well, and that—that's that. Oh, that's, that's, a, that's I, yeah. We're we're we're. It's the entire. Yes, it's. I mean, part of me is thinking, you know, all of these systems that are in place in our our society. We have all of these systems that are damaging to individuals in various ways and in very, you know, some more than others based on, you know, their skin color or how much money they have in the bank and, and all of that other shit and, and where they, you know, got the piece of paper that said, Oh, you sat in a classroom for 300 hours, you know, and this classroom's piece of paper is worth more than that classroom's piece of paper. <laughs> and <Right. laughs> and all of these systems, they are so firmly entrenched in our lives that it's like, how do we get out of this? How, you know, it, it's like, part of it is like, okay, if, if this, if humans are going to go away, you know, I mean, is there something we could, I wouldn't, you know, it would be nice to have humans without these systems. And honestly, it's, I have been so ingrained in stuff. I can't even envision what that world looks like. You know, not in, in the, you know, like we can't just flip a switch and have it be that way tomorrow. I wouldn't right. even know what it would look like. And, and what, I personally would have to give up to achieve mm -hmm. that because I think I think that everyone in the air quotes developed world unquote is gonna have to just say okay you know maybe we don't have like these mansions that we live in anymore for three people or two people it, it doesn't it that's not it's not healthy for the planet. It's not healthy for society. There are people who won't want to give up their power, not understanding that the, the real power is, is that's not real. <laughs> Thank you, know? you, Wendy. That's so beautiful because it isn't. And, and if I were to say the one lesson I'm learning from Gaia is that there can't be power without control and we really don't have that control and power though we do have to recognize on two different levels there's individual choices that we can make and we have to have the compassion for ourselves that we are living in a system that we probably wouldn't have chosen nor designed that system is generating a lot of our choices. Mm. So stepping out of that system, like you so beautifully put it, 
is unimaginable how to even do that. It's happening little by little. People are making different choices. There's co-housing, there's community gardens. There's so many different points and access of change. And it's the opening up to change and the willingness to change. And there's a lot of work to be done on an individual basis as well as systemic basis. In what I wrote to you, uh, I found that Resma Menachem's book, My Grandmother's Hands, mm-hmm. talks about how to get over white body supremacy. And he describes it as white body supremacy because it's in the body. And he is mm. a somatic experiencing practitioner. And as the universe would have it, I was lucky enough to have to study that in a class as well as do my training. So he talks about really feeling into the body when we experience other races. And I love extending that of how do I feel in my body when this amazing green bug flies onto my hand? Can I sit with it for a second instead of the reaction of you don't belong and brush you off? And that feeling into the body because of how we experience the world as a body to not other everything, to be honest when we feel apprehension or fear and let's generate some, you know, (laughs) prefrontal cortex, some ventral vagal. It's the ventral vagal part of the nerve that connects. Let's maybe go to that instead of the instant reptilian limbic brain fight, flight, freeze. Um, (laughs) So that's these ideas that I keep going over are trying to bring together social justice, racial justice, and environmental justice. And given my incredibly privileged position of popping out white, (laughs) my dumb luck being born in the United States, I feel it's incumbent on me to do this work. And we appreciate that. I definitely want to hear more about this, and I want to read up more about this, because... You know, at my age, things have been winding down for me. And and as I embrace retirement, which has been a difficult thing to do, uh, although I am I am not I am I am learning to decide to live within the means that the government is giving me based on taking money out of my paycheck for the last 40 years. So <laughs> And and if I can make that work, that would be excellent. And I can devote all of my time to things that are not financially, that have no financial returns. And I'm assuming, I am assuming this kind of work doesn't pay very well. <laughs> no. As I, remember all that privilege I was listing yes, down there? Yes. yes. Right. It's, it's the privilege of, of having savings. Yes. Yes. And- Thank you for bringing that up because that if white body privilege 
white body supremacy has anything to unwind itself. It is exactly the wealth and economic privilege that has been built on this racist system for years and years and years. Yes. And it's still still happening. And yeah, I know. I also want to ask you to talk a little bit about Tikhan Olam. The Jewish tradition of Tikhan Olam is repairing the world. And when I first came to Tikhan Olam, it was focused on social justice and racial justice. But not but and because it's <laughs> inextricable. These are all systems that work to support white supremacy, capitalism, colonist, colonist consumption. Feedback loop. Pardon it's me? Feedback, it's it is, a feedback loop. It's a positive feedback loop too. And it's out of control. So repairing the world is something that is done, I think, in in each moment. And since I've chosen a contemplative path, there is both outward action and inward action with Tikhan Olam. And the inward action is the compassion first for myself where I can't have it for anyone else and growing out from there. And then it's also the concrete actions that I can take through service. And each person has to find in their heart and their soul what calls to them as their service. It might be pulling out invasive weeds and trees and brush around a wild area in their home. It may be writing letters to congressmen and senators. I have an older cousin who is not getting around well anymore, but she writes a letter almost every day (laughs) to, (laughs) to a Republican congressman or senator. And there's plenty of them where she lives in northern Wisconsin, state and national and local leaders about how the world should be. And I think of what she does as part of repairing the world. And winding back around to acceptance, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross in grief and so much of what we are really truly experiencing is grief because when we become conscious and we understand and see how the world is working, even in small ways, we grieve that the world is not as it should be. Exactly. It's, it's wrong. It's horrible. It's heartbreaking. And we grieve for, for what your daughter and my niece <laughs> is going to her inheritance of this earth and the systems. And so we have to go through that spiraling. And I, and by spiraling stages, I'm evoking Joanna Macy and active hope. And I would encourage anyone who listens to this to please look her up. Joanna Macy is a goddess. And so instead of going down the denial and 
the anger and the bargaining and the depression and finding acceptance. Maybe we should look at what Dr. Macy has offered of her spiraling of starting with gratitude. And there's so much to be grateful for, especially in my privileged position. But honoring the pain and grief in ourselves and especially honoring the pain and grief in others' experiences that we can't even begin to comprehend. Mm. That gives us a vision to see the world as it is and see how we can help make the world as it should be. Thank you, Wendy. And thank you, Beth, for being on the show. This was really, uh, I love talking to you. And, and as always, this again, we, we need will. to do this again, uh, even thank if, you. you know, not necessarily on the podcast, but. Wouldn't that be great in person? If only I could yes. give you a hug right now. Yes. <laughs> Next year in Wisconsin, it'll be like uh, <laughs> like Passover. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Take take care. You too. You got questions? We got answers. What's our question of the day? Is okay. what was the first thing you remember buying with your own money? Yes. Yeah, so let me think. The first thing I remember buying with my own money, I went to what was then the Echelon Mall and got David Bowie's Scary Monsters album. Oh, awesome. Yeah, it was it was super it was super exciting because it was like, you know, I, I did have a, you know, I would ask for music for gifts and things like that when I was a kid. And this is the one that I remember like finally like saving up my allowance and getting dropped off at the mall and buying it and stuff. And, <laughs> and my other sort of funny memory about it is that I guess I had taken up smoking at this age. I was probably, I don't know. I was, well, I couldn't have been 13. I don't think I smoked when I was 13, but I guess this is that first album I remember buying with my own money. I, I feel like I must have bought some other little dumb things before this, but I was probably like 14. And I remember like having a lit cigarette and then seeing my mom like drive around the corner and like, quick, put it out and kind of like <laughs> take, take gum in my mouth and do all the like stupid things you do to like hide that you're smoking a cigarette. <laughs> and But I was like sort of gazing lovingly at the album like as, as that occurred. So it was just kind of a funny, weird teenage memory but yeah so it's still uh great memories of of buying that album and just know how much david bowie meant to me and always means to me so it was oh, very wow. cool and don't smoke smoking's bad i quit long ago so there you go <laughs> <laughs> how about you what's your well okay i saved my allowance for months months and months i was 12 i remember this very very vividly because this has to do with you know my dad I guess when I was around 12 and maybe I, maybe I, he opened it when I was 12 too. He, he opened savings accounts with joint accounts with me and my little brother separately. So we had money. So he wanted to teach us about money when we were, you know, in elementary school. So he opened a savings account with me and I would be putting my allowance in there and I was saving it diligently for months because I wanted to buy a microscope. 
Mm. And that was the first thing I bought with my own money. It was it was a it was a fortune. It was one hundred and fifty dollars. It took me a really long time to save for this, and it was a it, it's a Bausch and Loam, and it had a zoom lens, and it went from like one hundred to five hundred power, and and I had all these slides, and I gave it to my daughter, and she still has it. So that was you know, and I, and I think you know my dad was okay with this purchase. Maybe it's seventy five bucks. I don't know. I, he was okay with this purchase because it's like you know this, he's raising this little scientist. So <laughs> that's super cool. Now I had a microscope. I think I um I had a chemistry set and a microscope, and I I think my dad probably bought it for me mm-hmm. when I was young because I was always trying to do interesting experiments for like the science fair at school and things like that, and looking at algae and. I was yeah. always out in the yard, like finding things to put under the microscope and like that. So <laughs> that definitely is uh, hair, skin cells. Yes, exactly. <laughs> we all had that little cup of water that we just let sit and wait for paramecium to like show up. Oh, cool! I would just like go and look in puddles and get puddle okay. waters from puddles and things like that. No, I think I, I think slide. it was like maybe it was in the in the book of like the science experiments. I get like some water and put like a couple of blades of grass in there and wait. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like five days, and then you're gonna have all kinds of stuff in there. Right, right. And, yeah. and I was I remember looking at all that stuff too. And one of my daughter's friends is couch microscopy on on Instagram, and she's like getting like awards with her with her pictures from that stuff i mean she's like an adult now they're not kids anymore (laughs) but you know it's just she all her all her little videos of like rotifers doing things and stuff reminds me of when i was a kid doing all that stuff i'm just glad that my daughter didn't throw my microscope away yet so oh my gosh don't let her do that. No, well, I mean, it's, it's well, you like, can, she can do what she wants, but she should yes, gift but, it back if that's the case. No, she's not. I, <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's like, you know, it is old technology. They have the microscopes now. They have like attachments so you could put like your cell phone camera on there and take pictures and do all these things. This one you have to, you know, if you're using your eye and, it, you know, the way it's lit is old. It's old fashioned because it's from the 60s. <laughs> so. Yeah. As you vinyl know. records are, right? That's <laughs> true. That's but, true. But those have made a little bit of a comeback, at least in the like, classic rock world. People, some oh, young it's, folks it's, are really into it, vinyl yeah. and sort of getting back into the, the audiophile aspect of music, which I found kind of interesting. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I uh, She she had a, a USB turntable and I listened to one of my albums, one of my Pink Fairies albums. And that's when I found out I rewritten one of their songs <laughs> by accident. Someday we will talk about that. That's, your, that's a superpower. <laughs> yeah, that's my superpower. <laughs> I, I When I was listening to City Kids, I'm going, holy shit, that's the melody I used for this other song. No. <laughs> oh, man. It's a problem when you're only, you only know the first position chords on the guitar. There's only so many patterns <laughs> you can make from it. <laughs> and you're going to use the same melody with the same chord structure, especially if it's something you heard 30 years ago and hadn't listened to in 20 years. Right. So anyway. Good question. Fun answers. <laughs> well, I'm Robin Renee, and you can find me on Facebook at Robin Renee Fan or on Instagram at Robin Renee Music and on Twitter at Spirit Rock Sexy. And, you know, do a Google search. My music is out in the world too. Wherever you buy digital music, get it there. 
And I'm Wendy Sheridan, and you can find me on Facebook and Instagram at Wendy Cards, on Twitter at Wendy Designs, and on Etsy at Wendy Cards with a Z, and Google Music for the Goddess if you're looking for my music anywhere, and it'll show up. Very good. And remember, (laughs) you can always reach out to us on social media at Leftscape. Send us your questions, and we might answer it because we got answers. <laughs> and thanks for thanks for listening, as always. You've been listening to the Leftscape podcast. Sound engineering by Wendy Sheridan. Show notes by Robin Renee. Fake sponsor messages by Ariel Sheridan. Web hosting by InMotion. Remote recording by Squadcast. If you like what you hear, please share it with your friends. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Leftscape. Become a patron of our show for as little as $1 a month at patreon.com slash Leftscape. Thanks for listening. <laughs>